Have you been deep diving into health and nutrition and want to learn more? Up for a chat? Cindy O'Meara and the Functional Nutrition Academy present to you the Intro to Nutrition course. This 10-week introductory program is the perfect Kickstarter to help you gain knowledge, get empowered and develop a healthy relationship with food. To find out more and to get access to one of the world's leaders in nutrition, go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash nutrition. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Sit back, light the fire, kick your shoes off, because it's time for That Paleo Show with your favorite caveman, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. And this week, I'm joined by Helen Marshall. Helen, a 40-something-year-old mother of two, lives on the south coast of Western Australia and at 38 years of age had a health crisis. She had digestive, hormonal and sleep problems and it was getting all a bit overwhelming. She couldn't understand why she was feeling that way, um, but she decided at one stage that she might try a gluten-free diet. Um, she then moved on to a paleo diet and started to notice some great changes. Um, she even dragged her tradie husband along and her two school-aged kids along for the ride and got them all on board. Um, so she's become passionate about a paleo lifestyle and creating primal alternatives for her community. Um, she has a range of health foods. She has a primalista license, which we'll talk about shortly, um, and is really out there creating a big difference for her community. So welcome to the show, Helen Marshall. What an intro. Thanks, Brett. It's totally cool to be here. Thank you. My pleasure. It's a cool story. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting in and talking to you about it. But tell us a bit about your journey. What happened to you when you turned 38? Oh, well, I'll start a little bit before that and give you the, the lead up to the, the big crash. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just curious about what happens when you turn 38 because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm about to get there. So, I'm, you know, I'm concerned that everything's going to Are you 37, apart. Brett? I am. Yeah. <laughs> How nerve-wracking. No wonder you had to get me on the show to I find know. out what horrible things to, are going to happen. I need to know. I think you're right because you're, you're totally down with paleo, so I think you'll be you'll be sweet, right? No need to worry about your birthday coming up. <laughs> um, but my, my story basically goes along the lines of, you know, trying to be really healthy, like really trying hard to be healthy, going to the gym three to five um, times a week and following the government guidelines of a low-fat, healthy whole grain he says, with a funny smile on her face and inverted commas, healthy whole grain diet. And I did that from the age of about 14. I remember that's really when the message, that would have been about um, around the 90s, 1990. Um, I really started to hear that, you know, fat will make you fat message from the government. And um, I really took it on board, so, you know, it stopped having salad dressing and just chomping down on dry tasteless, nutritionless uh, salads, wouldn't eat the meat in the, uh, on a chicken skin, wouldn't even touch avocados because the fat content was way too high and, you know, I wanted to be healthy. I didn't want to die of heart disease and turn into, you know, a really unhealthy person. So I kept going with that and um, I worked as a, a fitness instructor. Actually, I was an aerobics instructor in the <laughs> That's what they were called in the nineties. Leggings and all. Leggings, lycra, banana clip, Reebok pumps. The works, <laughs> right? <clears throat> I was rocking it. I was, I was a really good aerobics instructor, and then went on to be a um, personal trainer. 
fitness instructor and had all these women coming through the gym telling me everybody wanted to, you know, lose weight and tone up. And this is what we said you've got to do. You've got to, you know, eat calories in versus calories out. So, you know, eat less, burn off more. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, so that was the message that I'm really sorry to all those women who came to the gym. And, you know, th- th- there was very limited success in that, really, when I, when I think back. So anyway, so I carried on with this and got out of the um, leisure industry simply because the hours were a bit rubbish and the pay was rubbish and got into a corporate career. So I did that for 10 years as a business manager and a recruiter in the city and still you're still keeping up the low-fat um, diet and sneaking off to the gym because you're not really allowed to take breaks in the corporate world. Very healthy. And um, so, yeah, sneaking off to the gym, you hopefully you didn't bump into your boss in the, in the lift on the way out of the building because you would be frowned upon for having a life. And um, so I carried on with that. And and, um, and then I had two kids uh, just to kind of like round off the, the pressure that I was putting on, on my system. And, and luckily I fell pregnant really easily, which is a surprise when I look back. Um, but, yeah, when I, when I hit 38, so at this point the kids were about, five and not be good at maths they're little they were like five five and, and three they were like you know they're still in that quite you know that not so independent not at full-time school so you, it's still quite you know what it's like um you know sleepless nights and yeah busy just constant busyness and so my symptoms looked a little bit like this so i had chronic nausea so it was just felt sick all the time you just really all the time so it's kind of like having a hangover with a chaser of morning sickness that never went away. I had um, chronic headaches. Headaches would wake me up in the middle of the night. I'd have to hop out of bed and take some neurofin, which was obviously just feeding into the whole problem, as I know now. I was constipated, so just literally going to the toilet two or three times a week. Um, wasn't sleeping, uh, so I'd get into bed. You know, my, my day was very busy. Um, I'd get into bed and I'd be going, go to sleep, go to sleep, go to sleep, but they'd be like, Thomas the Tank Engine theme tune or Giggle and Hoot theme tune going around my head, you know, just oh, stop that, go, go to sleep. And uh, I just, I just couldn't. Um, I was, um, I had plantar fasciitis, aches and pains all over my whole body, to be honest, Brett. I was bloated, I had hair fever and all sorts of other strange allergies to dogs and horses. Um, I was always getting colds um, and needed coffees to wake me up. And by the time we got to about four o'clock, I was literally craving a wine I wouldn't call it I wouldn't call it being an alcoholic but I just really feel that at that time my gut bacteria was just you know had developed to to want to eat just want to drink that kind of thing and um, I was always cold I just felt like I was running on vapors and kind of getting really shouty and and you know it's a bit of a ragged libidoless housewife to be honest <laughs> not much fun not much fun at all and you know, like inside, this is what's happening. But on the outside, you know, there was still groceries that had to be got. The kids still had to go to school. They had to show up in the community. And so it was only really my very close friends that knew what I was going through. But my world got really small and stopped sort of being able to, because I felt sick all the time. I stopped feeling like I can't, I can't fly on a plane because that's just a cope with that. And I remember booking into a Maggie Dent seminar down here in Albany and, and getting like three quarters of the way to the seminar and having to turn back because I just couldn't stand the thought of being trapped in a room for a couple of hours. So these strange phobias and sort of crept in and started to get 
really quite obsessive about the kids getting sick. I was thinking, God, if they got sick, how could I cope, you know? And and I'm very mindful and I've always done yoga and always done meditation, but there was there was something that was sticking here. Like I couldn't, you know, just slap an affirmation on how I was feeling. And these thoughts, they were just going really sort of down this downward spiral. And and even though I couldn't stop them, I knew I knew that it wasn't me. You know, I knew it was something else that was and, and I just, you know, went to the doctors, had numerous blood tests, full body scans, and they said, nothing wrong with you. You've, you've got irritable bowel syndrome, yeah. um, but there's no drug for that. So see you later, basically. So, Helen, there's obviously a lot of stuff going on there. There's a lot of different symptoms. And I guess the, the one question mm-hmm. it brings to mind is, why do you think you let it get so far? Like, is it just because it came on slowly? Is it because these symptoms are so common in our society that you just thought it was normal? Like, what was it? Why was it that, or was it that you just weren't sure what to do about it? Like, what was it you think that allowed it to get so far in your health and your life? Well, it was simply really not knowing what was wrong with me um, and I really thought that I must have some <clears throat> excuse me I must have some kind of de- you know degenerative hideous disease and be dying to feel like this so there was, there was part of that of just being completely afraid and and scared and thinking you know on my own no one else feels like this you know what's wrong with me <clears throat> and then on the other <laughs> I've got a real frog in my throat on the other on the other end of the spectrum um yeah like I just thought that that was normal you know okay so Maybe this is what it's like when you're approaching 14, you've had a couple of kids. And, you know, I'm from the UK, you can tell by my funny accent, and my husband's from New Zealand. So although parents give us a lot of love from across the miles, we're on our own doing it to appear. So, you know, I, I knew we were quite busy and we had a lot on. So I just thought, oh, maybe, maybe that's just how it is, you know. And so you said at some stage you started thinking about uh, seeing a naturopath and, and your thought was, well, if I see a naturopath, they're going to tell me to go gluten-free. Um, and so you decided just to do that anyway, just to sort of skip out the middleman and give gluten-free a try. How did that go for you? That was amazing. Like, and, and gluten is my is my kryptonite, so I never would go back to, to gluten. Um, now you've realized, you know, on the other flip side, you're like, oh, wow, I can you know, just change the food I'm eating and suddenly get rid of all of these hideous symptoms and also you know you know what it's like once you your gut gets to a new level of um functioning your body just thrives and and then you know things that you know like doing the laundry in the supermarket shopping was you know my world that was as much as i could cope with but now you just you when you go to so much more um you know integral part of your thriving body you just feel so much more connected to like nature your community your family and and when all that distortion has gone, you can really, um, in all of those niggling pains out there anymore, you can really tune in to your inner guide and, and, and sort of find out what, what lights you up and what your purpose is and it lead a much more fulfilling life than just laundry and groceries, you know what I mean? So when I, when I was at my lowest point and having a chat to my husband on the couch and he was going, oh, what's wrong with you, you know, like, is a Kiwi, it's like, oh, Gil, I just want you better, eh? You know, <laughs> what's wrong with you, you know? And um, and, I, and I said, oh, I should see a naturopath. But, you know, we were kind of pretty broke and going to see a naturopath was a, was a big investment. And I said, oh, she's probably just going to tell me to go gluten-free. And it just blurted out. And, it, you know, that was the start of really tuning into my inner guide and thinking, oh, hang on a minute, there is a, 
you know, a lot, the more a higher intelligence in my body that knows what's best for me than what I'm you know, following the government guidelines of. So I did that, and um, I also did go and see the naturopath, Ray Paris. She's a wonderful naturopath in, in our little town, and she diagnosed me as having small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and a leaky gut. So I was like, hurrah, there is something wrong with me, and I'm not going crazy. So, you know, just with some beautiful herbs and supplements to kind of like get me off of that, you know, complete hole, um, along with the, the paleo diet, I managed to, you know, get my health back. Probably I would say within like three to five days, I was feeling a lot better. But then after about six weeks, the nausea went. And then other things started to happen, like I was sleeping. Like people say sleeping like a baby, but that's rock if you ask me. It's more like sleeping like a husband. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, you know, going to sleep at half past nine and waking up at six o'clock. And as you know, Brett, sleep is king of everything, you know, hormone regulation, metabolism, everything. So once I started to sleep, my, I really felt like that was the chance that my body got to really heal and um, that was a really massive turning point from never being able to sleep very well. Suddenly I was having this amazing rejuvenating sleep, waking up the next morning thinking, right, bring it on. It was a great feeling. And so, Helen, what was the biggest challenge when you started going gluten-free? I think the biggest challenge was realising where gluten is like it's everywhere it's it's scary like when you when, like what was gluten doing in low-fat ice cream i've never known ice cream made of gluten before, you know so i think that was the biggest challenge i think when i first went gluten free <clears throat> it was a case of okay we just need to stop eating bread and pasta but no it, it went a lot further than that and when i said that you know i committed to it on facebook you know like you do these days i'm going gluten free because then you'll be held accountable by your, yeah. you know, crowds of friends. Yeah. And one of my friends, Kirsty, Kirsty said to me, "Well, why don't you go paleo?" And I'd never heard of it before. And to be honest, when I first heard it, I thought it sounded like the most crazy thing ever to quit grains because because they're healthy, right? Grains and legumes and dairy and alcohol and sugar. Um, but you know, I was that desperate, and I'm quite committed to health, so I was like, I'm going to give it a go. So I did a kind of like whole 30 plus a couple of weeks extra. It was more like a whole 90 kind of thing really with um, or a whole 60 with a liver detoxing from the naturopath and that really kind of helped to reset. But for me, that kind of um, couldn't stick to that all the time. So although that was really good to kind of reboot me because I was in such a bad place, my whole <clears throat> goal now is to make going primal or going paleo more, it's got to be doable and sustainable. I think people are really in for a, you know, a good challenge, a 21-day challenge or a 30-day challenge. But what I'm focusing on now is, is what, what can we stick to for the rest of our lives? Do you know what I mean? And I think that that's the difference between, I see a lot of people fall off the wagon, as they like to say. And that's, I reckon, because they, they're, setting thing, they're setting the bar too high for themselves. And I think that just goes back to the real... 90s way that we've all been brought up of you know it, we've got to make it hard you know no pain no gain mm. where really a paleo lifestyle is just getting back to it's nothing new it's just getting back to what we evolved and thrive on as a species and it's actually the most enjoyable way to live your life as you know so if you can like you know incorporate something that you can stick to and even if you're just at the beginning even if it's just like just going gluten-free, 
then think about it on a like a you know like a time span of like four to five years you know so for example I was still having rice in the beginning and then you just get to the point where you're like actually that's a bit too much that's a bit carby for me now and I feel a bit bloated after that rice so I think I'll switch to cauliflower rice and I was still keeping on with dairy and then just over the last year or so I thought you know what dairy's oh, it's not that it's making me feel not that great I think I could do without it in my life you know what I mean and so you're just constantly tweaking and evolving and honing in more to be more of an intuitive eater and actually asking your body like what do we what do I want to eat and how do I feel after that which is very empowering so when you did the whole 30 Helen what was the bit that you found was most challenging what was the bit that was you felt was hardest to do in a sustainable way well I guess the first it there was a lot of um <clears throat> thought had to go into it in those days you know and so I went out and bought all the books, you know, and, and every meal was kind of like this huge, huge preparation and fat and cooking, you know. And so I think that, that it was really hard and you, and I felt, you know, I was making everything bread. I was doing the bone broth and the sauerkraut and, you know, the paleo breads and the cookies for Mike and the kids and, and, and all of that. And and it was a bit overwhelming. You know, and there was a real turning point when some sauerkraut exploded in my wardrobe. And I was like, oh, this is too hard. <laughs> like, I'm making this too hard. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fall off the wagon myself if I keep it this hard. So that's when I looked into the community and, and found an amazing um, local mom who she makes amazing fermented vegetables. So I buy those off her. And then I obviously started my range of primal alternatives um, because I was finding people were falling off the wagon. So they were going along really well. And then, you know, plants and animals, plants and animals, plants and animals at every meal. And then, they wanted to have a pizza night, so they had to just, you know, throw it, throw it, fall off the wagon. And um, and then they'd end up throwing the baby out with the bath water, you know, because they're like, oh, well, I've had a pizza. And it would sort of spiral through a, a, week, a weekend binge on gluten and sugar, you know, which I just kind of like, you know, it's really a shame to unravel all of that amazing work they've done. And obviously they felt pretty crappy. So that's when my range came in too, to just kind of make it a little bit more free and a bit more doable so you can just grab some pizza bases out of the oven and, and out of the freezer and uh, pop them in the oven and and um yeah just make it a little bit more fun and, and easy you know and I think that now like once we started to we were just getting everything at the supermarket but then when we started to go to our farmers markets and really you know take out that money that we were spending on you know crackers and biscuits and muesli bars and all the stuff you find in the middle aisles of the supermarket when we I've had about $50 extra in a kitty a week because we weren't buying all of that stuff. Um, we then started to invest in, you know, some good quality local grass-fed meat, spray free vegetables. And when you cook with those high-quality ingredients, as you know, the food just speaks for itself. You don't need to – you can do a nice recipe. Maybe I'll do a new recipe once a week just to, ooh, I fancy doing this. But it's not sustainable to do that every night. Some nights you just – you're short on time. You just want to whack some chicken drumsticks in the oven and make a salad. You know, it, it, so now we eat a lot more simpler, I guess. So yeah, that, that keeping it something that you can stick to is really key, I reckon. Yeah, that's great. And what about getting the family on board? You know, you said you had a tradie husband who's a rugby player with a big appetite. You had two kids. You had you were eating loads of bread, loads of muesli bars. Loads of cookies. Yeah. You, said, you said your husband would only do the journey if you made him cookies. So how did you go about yeah. getting the family on board? 
Well, to be honest, Brett, I didn't make a big announcement. It wasn't a thing. It was just like, look, I'm doing this for me. And and that's the advice um, that I give to my clients now. You know, if you want to change your family, start with yourself because um, generally the mum is the one who is, um, you know, buying the food, doing the deciding what we're going to have to eat and cooking it. So any changes that the mum makes to her diet will organically trickle down so long as the family is eating together. I think if the mum's making, I'm having this lovely paleo meal and you're going to have rice crackers and cheese, then it's not going to work. But if we're all sitting together around the table on a night, which I think is one of the most beautiful parts of family life, and, and if you're not doing it, give it a go because it's a really good time to connect and and I think that when, when the kids are seeing what you're eating, it's a bit like monkey see, monkey do. They're, you know, from a primal perspective, they're thinking, right, well, you've reached adulthood. This is what you eat. So, you know, that I want, I'm going to eat what you eat, which is why you see quite a lot of young kids will only eat off mum's plate. And, you know, that, that seems a bit annoying when you, you've made them a little ball of their own and you just want to sit down and eat your own dinner without <laughs> someone grabbing stuff off your plate. But it makes perfect sense. And... I think kids are, um, you know, kids are very intuitive and it's really important to honour um, their preferences. So, like, when we sit down on a night, we have, like, four different shades of paleo around the table, you know. So I would probably be the most textbook paleo, but then, you know, Mike and Sam have a little bit of gluten-free bread. They'll eat, you know, rice. Um, so I guess it's really getting the other, the rest of the family on board was, again, slow progression, and and when I look at what they eat now, like they're um, nine and seven now, they they eat a really I'm really happy with what they eat and they're they're healthy. We we were going through you know like every June we'd guarantee we'd get sick, you know. Well, that you have to touch wood whenever I say this, especially mm-hmm. if it's being broadcast. But um, there's a lot less uh, sickness. There's always stuff going around at school, but my kids don't seem to get it. Um, and they're healthy and they're happy and they're. We put them to bed on a night and they go straight to sleep. So I guess just my, my thing was just, yeah, making it slow and steady, having things like the, the, the cookies, um, which are a bestseller in the brand. Nice one, Mike. That's my husband uh, for making me come up with that recipe. But um, just having things that, that can make it doable and sustainable. I don't know, like for me, uh, there's, you know, yes, I'm happy to leave out dairy and I'm not into rice anymore, but I'm still enjoying my coffee and my dark chocolate and my preservative-free red wine because that's what makes the journey sustainable for me. And I feel great. And, you know, if there, if there came a time where, you know, I might need to ditch the wine or whatever, then <laughs> let's hope that day never comes. But that would have to be looked at. But for now, you know, if I can continue my journey with the things, a little bit of what I enjoy in there, then it makes it much more of a pleasant life. And, you know, Helen, you've described yourself as a work in progress, that there's always, you know, you never you never really get to the destination. There's always stuff you're working on. So what are you working on at the moment in terms of uh, making changes and, and what, what's your next step for you in terms of, uh, you know, refining your paleo life? I really feel like I think, you know, we're all, everything is, is a work in progress, right? Even um, stress management is, you don't just get to one day and you're like, right, I'm not stressed. That's it, right? Every, every Every day, it's a it's a daily practice on mindfulness, presence, remembering to breathe, um, and it's the same with food. So every single um, meal that you have is, you know, you you've got to continue. You need to keep that momentum. Um, so I'm committed to that, and I really feel at the moment in a really good place. And I think 
um, that, you know, having my gut and my physical health improve was one thing, but then to then listen to the, you know, the, my soul whisperings, which was to, you know, set up this business and, and then, you know, have the success locally and then decide to take it nationally to actually follow those, um, those soul whisperings and to sort of break through a few of the fear things that we all have got um, has has really kind of like taken my health to another level. I, I remember hearing Gear Hendricks, um, well, I read his book, The Big Leap, um, that diseases like chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia are diseases of lack of fulfillment. And I think that really resonated with me because I really, you know, I think there's a lot of us just staying safe. And whereas really, you know, if you're, eating a diet and living a lifestyle that helps you thrive to your full potential it's it's almost like your duty to get out into the world and show up as the authentic you and and you know serve serve um with with the skills that you've got so that's really my focus now is, is kind of working on getting myself out there and and you know um breaking through those fears and kind of busting up to the next level and and this is all stuff you know like this is a woman who couldn't even go to a Maggie Dent seminar three years ago, you know, and and now here I am being interviewed by you. There's no way I would have been able to um, have dared myself to do that, you know, and wouldn't have had the the clarity or the or the the energy to like, you know, all the stuff I've had to do for the Primalista license, like, you know, dealing with graphic designers and getting the labels done, and barcodes and nutritional information panels and marketing and websites and solicitors. It's just like so much stuff, but. When you've got that clarity and the energy that you get from a paleo diet, you can do these things instead of just going, oh, no, it's too hard, too hard, I'm not going to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. So let's talk about some of these things you're doing, Helen. Let's talk about your primal alternative range. You've mentioned it a couple of times. How did it go about? What made you decide to start creating products for the community? Well, when I um, experienced the benefits of paleo, Right. I was like, oh, my God, you know, it's like everybody needs to know this. I can't believe I can't believe I didn't know about paleo, you know, three weeks ago. And now I do. And you know, now I feel so much better. So yeah, I got that little evangelical that I think everyone gets to, don't they? And they're like, why aren't you eating like this? And obviously you can't change everybody. <laughs> so I, I started to blog. And so my blog was called Primal Soapbox because, you know, it was me, you know, my soapbox about going primal. And I started to write a few blogs. And people would come up to me in the street and put their hand on my arm and say, oh, my God, that's me. Like, I relate to that. Um, what shall I eat? So I started to do kind of like informal primal chats, I called them. I had people come around to my house. We'd all talk about it. And I'd meet with people in the street. But really what I was doing there was just kind of preaching about everything I knew. You know, and just I must tell them everything I know. And, and looking back, it was just overwhelming and, you know, way too um, unsustainable and undoable. Um, so then I started to share recipes on the blog and people said to me, how have you got time to do this? Like, you know, we've got proper jobs. We're nurses and we're school teachers and we work in a bar and we're a hairdresser and we haven't got time to spend all that time in the kitchen. So I'm a bit of an entrepreneur, I guess. Well, um, and um, I said, well, how about I make some things for you and, and bring them around to your house? So I just started selling a few things like on Facebook and then um, really had to like streamline the range to make it things because I wanted to work from home. I was, you know, in my I had that lovely corporate salary, but the lifestyle was not um, something that I could sustain as being a mum. And then since I've been a mum for the last 10 years, I found it really hard to contribute to the income with something that's, you know, 
stimulating, that lights me up, and that gives me, you know, a decent salary. You know, most things you're just going to work in the local, you know, shop or the local to do some admin for twenty twenty five dollars an hour. It's kind of like by the time you kids daycare, etc., etc. So I wanted something that I could do from home that would fit around the kids. Um, and this was good. So the range, I streamlined it down to have low-risk products that can be made in the domestic kitchen for the for the public. And so that includes, um, I, made a, I make a seasonal paleo bread, which is um, in the winter we use pumpkin, which is actually, I made the first pumpkin look yesterday. It's like that transition stage at the moment in the middle of autumn. And in the summer we use zucchini. And it's not bread at all. It's um, free-range eggs and almond meal, right, and vegetables, pretending to be bread. <laughs> and we have um paleo fruit toast which is delicious that's um kind of like a hot cross bun raisin toasty kind of feel which is a really good seller and uh, we have grain free cookies thank you mike for those ones um paleo pizza bases which just fly off the shelves and also good nourishing jellies um like little lollies really just full of gelatin and, and lemon juice and um yeah, so I started to sell those um, at the local farmers markets. Then um, local cafes got in touch and said, "Can we, uh, you know, put your pizzas on the menu?" And um, it was all going great. The feedback I got from the public was that this was life changing. You know, it was making it a lot more sustainable for people to be able to, you know, have something yummy without falling off the wagon. And then one day, was it about six months ago, a little idea kind of like downloaded from the universe <laughs> which said you know franchise this model this is a really empowering walking business model for other mums and you can you know so other mums like me who are really into paleo love making stuff with their thermomix can actually earn an income from home as well you know and I wanted to get the the products out to the whole of Australia but I'm just not into that I just didn't really feel like doing a factory thing you know like that just didn't just didn't resonate yeah. at all. So I spent the last uh, few months of 2016 getting the website together and, you know, the contract together and, and everything like that. And now we've got um, two, so I call the producers primalistas because it's a lot more fun than being called a producer. <laughs> so um, we've got two primalistas down here in Denmark and one in Canberra. And so my goal really now is just to kind of get primal alternative a bit famous so that, you know, we can hopefully inspire other mums to earn an income from home too. Yeah, it's a really exciting time. That's great. It's great that you've sort of identified, you know, what you want and, and what you want in your life and what fits in with your goals rather than, you know, as you said, going out there and being a massive producer and producing, you know, huge volumes of this stuff. You said, no, I, I want to do it differently because that's going to work with me and I think that's really nice. And I think it's great to think that we can have these small communities, you know, all around Australia producing, you know, locally grown, locally made, uh, you know, it's almost going back to the old school, isn't it? Like going back to the baker on the corner kind of thing. So I think that's really nice. I think it fits in really well with the paleo message as well. Yeah, so what I'm looking to create is exactly what you said, Brett, is like a um, a national brand of local producers. So it's it's what all that I'm taking out with my um, Primalista license is that headachey stuff. You know, there's lots of mums that want to start their own business, but there's stats or something horrendous, like 95% of you know small businesses fail in the first year because they fall over at the hurdles of things like you know health licenses, insurance, and blah, 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 all the really boring stuff that didn't like me up at all, but I had to get over those hurdles to get this out there. And, you know, so they can just literally 
you know, get this online training course, that's, that's what it is, and the license to produce. And you could literally, you know, technically start start selling your stuff the next day, like if you got everything ordered really quickly. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it does feel good. And, and we're, um, we're also all the privatists, well, you know, like three of us, are together um, in a um, Facebook group. Um, so we can offer each other. So we've got that kind of like, it's a collaborative network of local producers. So, you know, say if, if one primalista needs a break, another local primalista can pick up her orders or a couple of primalistas could do an expo together. So it's really nice to have that kind of sisterhood vibe to it too. Hmm. Sounds great, Helen. So if we want to find out more about that, they can go to your website, which is primalalternative.com. Um, where's the best spot to find you on social media, Helen? Uh, on Facebook as Primal Alternative and on Instagram as Primal Alternative as well. Very easy to remember. Perfect. So <laughs> head to the social media, head to the website, find out all about the Primal Alternative range, find out about becoming a Primalista, find out about uh, Helen's health coaching as well. Um, thank you so much for coming on board today, Helen. Thank you, Brett. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. Until next week, join the conversation on Facebook, give us a five-star rating on iTunes, join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.